Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and residence office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 12, The Duel. In this episode, Dwight and Andy finally faced off, Michael heads to corporate, and Angela is a terrible person. This episode's cold open is kind of one of the more classic ones. It features the speed trap. And so we see at the very beginning of the episode, Michael is running down the street outside of the office screaming. And we learn that there has been a police like mobile radar scanner, the ones that show you how fast you're going, has been posted outside the office because Angela made so many 911 calls about people driving too fast past the office building. And so it has become the focus of the office to go out and run past this thing to see who can run past the fastest. The first person we see go, as Curtis said, is Michael, and he runs 12 miles per hour. And so that seems to be the number to beat. And they're doing this in their suits and ties and their dress shoes, which cannot be super comfortable for sprinting. So Dwight's up next. He goes and he gets 13, which Michael immediately just like, you know, a five-year-old just like, well, there was some wind. There was some wind. That can't be the top number. And of course he wants a do-over, but Dwight says, I wasn't even sprinting. I was just jogging. It's supposed to be Oscar's turn to go, but Michael insists he wants to do over and cuts in front of him and starts running. And as he's going, a car is passing on the road at the same time. The car is going 31 miles per hour, to which Michael claims he was ahead of the car. So that's the new number to beat. And he won't hear anything beyond sense on that fact. Of note, 12 miles per hour is not that fast that's a five minute mile which a five minute mile is fast it's fast but it's not like sprint speed fast how many people do you know can run a five minute mile i used to be able to run a five minute mile right but you did really well in cross country sure i'm saying i'm just saying like person is not running a five minute mile i know i'm just saying that like that's not like, if you were in a 100-meter race and you ran a five-minute mile pace, you would get smoked because <laughs> those guys are running, like, 15, 16 miles an hour. Well, I wouldn't say that any of the office members are, one, wearing the correct uh, yes, yes, in, yes, in in work clothes. 12 miles per hour, yes, is probably pretty quick. But two, they're not probably in sprint shape. Yes. <laughs> yes. In general, yes. 12 miles per hour is pretty fast, but in the sense of actually, like, running, it's, it's not that fast. Okay, well, let's get a speedometer out in front of our house and then we can see. There is one not far from here, so <laughs> we could give it a shot. I biked past it the other day, and I think I was going 
probably about 12 miles an hour. So <laughs> again, if you can bike that fast, it's not that fast. I guess that's true. The main part of this episode starts with Michael in his office saying that he got a call from David Wallace and David wants to have a chat with Michael about some big picture stuff. And Michael says he has no idea what that means. It's hard to tell if he doesn't know what David means by big picture stuff or if he doesn't know what the phrase big picture things means. So Michael takes off for New York and is meeting with David and David says that he just called him in to pick his brain because all the other branches are struggling right now. He mentions a few of the branches by name and talks about how they are struggling, but the Scranton branch has not only made a profit, they have kind of expanded on the sales that they were making last year. So they are gaining more customers while everyone else is struggling. And you have to remember, this is in 2008, so America is in the middle of a recession right now. The, the world is in the global yeah, financial yeah. crisis. This is the first mention that we get of Dunder Mifflin struggling and David needing to sort of do whatever it takes to make sure the sales numbers are there. And so it says he just needs to know how Michael's doing it. He needs to know, are, are you doing motivation stuff? He's expecting that Michael can pinpoint or give him, oh yeah, this is what we've implemented at the Scranton branch. Unfortunately, Michael's not that type of guy. And he is absolutely over the moon that David even called him in and thinks he's doing a good job. So then he completely loses his ability to objectively talk about the branch, say what they're doing, or even just talk real business. Yeah, Michael does try to impart some of his wisdom onto David, and it leads to one of his more iconic sound bites. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. Like an improv conversation. M improvisation. And so yes, as we know and as we have discussed, Michael is a terrible manager for many, many reasons. <laughs> but one of them is because he has zero business acumen. He doesn't really know what he is doing as a manager. He is a very, very good salesman. Yes. But when it comes to trying to expand client base or motivate people, he does the opposite in, in that case many times. But he has no real input on these things. It is essentially dumb luck. Very much so. That this is happening or... It is to the credit is to be given to the individual salespeople who are doing their part to expand the sales base, and Michael is getting all the credit for that. That's what I was going to say. He has Dwight, who's been one of the top salesmen in the company for many years or many times over, as we saw in season two. He has Jim, who seemingly is sort of moving up. Um, in the Dunder Mifflin ladder and 
from what we know, Phyllis and Stanley aren't slouches at sales either. The only one that would be a little uh, underwhelming is probably Andy. Yeah, Phyllis and Stanley at least seem to have kind of their client base. They're like a very reliable yeah, client base. Yeah, established. Yeah. So during this meeting, David is actually extremely patient with Michael as Michael is just spouting nonsense and anecdotes and just trying, you know, David's trying to extrapolate anything he possibly can, but then realizes, especially towards the end, it's unclear how long the meeting is, but let's say, you know, one to two hours, he realizes he's not getting anything. Michael gets a little high maintenance after getting some praise and asks that the temperature in the room be moved down three degrees and then says he'd like to order pasta. And David's sort of willing. He indulges these things. And as he's trying to wrap up the meeting, he's like, yeah, it's probably really difficult to give an objective uh, sense of yourself. And so he, for him, it was kind of a waste of time. Then Michael sits back down to finish his pasta. And David was seemingly trying to get on with his day. Now, to me, I cannot imagine that that meeting was worth the two and a half hour three hour drive from Scranton to New York that could have been just a conference call sort of thing um I know you know Webex and Teams are not ubiquitous at this point but that's a long drive for just that discussion well maybe maybe not David was probably hoping to get more from That's that true. meeting than he did. And David even says, and it's kind of, it, it cuts to the heart of what we've been saying almost this entire podcast, is that there's almost no reason for Michael to still be employed at Dunder Mifflin. Very few reasons, yeah. He He is constantly causing trouble. He commits a fireable offense in just about every other episode, but he makes money for the company. And as David says, in an economy like this one, you know, we can't really be closed-minded to anything. We have to be open to all suggestions and kind of tolerate some things that maybe they wouldn't normally. This is the first seed that we've seen planted since the opening season, so since the, uh, the pilot episode, really, and in parts of season two, where there are threats of downsizing, and even into season three, I should say, where they were going to consolidate some branches and move uh, things around, it seems as though things have been stable for Dunder Mifflin as a company really up until this point, and with this global financial crisis, we will see this really come to a head next season and to me this is sort of something a, a seed that gets planted that then pays off down the line and we see some changes come into corporate at the end of this season but really there's a big shakeup in season six with the whole corporate structure the main focus of this episode however is the love triangle with dwight andy and angela if you remember last episode, Angela had had enough of Phyllis ordering her around and 
put her foot down and said, I'm not going to listen to you anymore about and let you boss me around to get things done for this party. Essentially calling Phyllis's bluff that Phyllis wouldn't tell anybody about the fact that Angela and Dwight were having an affair. Angela was very wrong in this situation and Phyllis announced it to the entire office minus Andy who was not there. We learn in the course of this episode that it has been 17 days since the party and at no point has anyone had a conversation with Andy and he is still oblivious to the fact that Angela and Dwight are having an affair. Andy's obliviousness comes out at the top of the episode when he comes into the office and he hasn't even put his stuff down, hasn't even taken off his coat yet and says, hey everyone, I need the floor. This is incredibly awkward, but I just need to tell you that the RSVP deadline for our wedding invitations was yesterday and no one, not a single one of you RSVP'd and I just need to know what's the deal. Let us take this moment to take a side tangent on RSVPs. Curtis and I were just talking about this yesterday, actually. There is now in our interconnected world becoming a subset of people of all ages, I should say, not just younger people, not just millennials. It affects the olds as well that refuse staunchly refuse to send back an RSVP. This is something that Antoinette feels very strongly about if you cannot tell by the tone of her voice right now. It is so rude. If someone has sent you an invitation and it's it doesn't matter what kind of party it's for, they need to know if you're going to come because not everyone has the ability to just put on a huge spread and call it good. Like people need to know, okay, is it gonna be 10 people or 30 people for a small party? And if you're planning a wedding, you have people breathing down your neck wanting to know your numbers so that they can plan catering, they can plan chairs, things like that. Things that are pretty important to the actual logistical running of an event. I have a family member who says that she does not believe in RSVPs and it is it is an astounding thing to say, in my opinion, because no one should have to assume or hunt you down for any sort of RSVP. And a lot of people make it easy these days. There's You can just do it online in different capacities. So this is my PSA. If you're out there and you have gotten an invitation and you're wavering on whether you should even respond, just throw that person a bone, take five minutes and just respond because you're going to make their life a little bit easier. The worst part of the situation that you just said about your family member is that they were intending on going to this event. (laughs) If you don't RSVP, you better not show up because that is the epitome of rudeness. It just is something... Again, I don't know if it's just our interconnectedness of, you know, we can text, we can email, whatever, but people just don't. And it's not something I really realized is a thing until I've been planning events and parties. And I'm like, 
oh my God, is this person coming or not? And it's just really um, annoying to have to hunt down people. And you're like, I don't even want you to come anymore. <laughs> like, why do I even want you to be there if you're not interested in the event, seemingly? That's how it comes across to me. Maybe I'm taking that a little bit uh, oversensitively. But yeah, the I, I can't even remember the number of people we had to hunt down after our RCP deadline for our wedding. And it wasn't a ton maybe it was 20 to 25 like and not just individual people but groupings of people the majority of them were no's but I mean how were we supposed to know that this person that we invited from Texas wasn't going to come up and have like a family reunion thing so anyways Andy's needing these RSVPs and that really kicks off this realization to the rest of the office that Dear God, Angela has still not done anything with this situation. And to Michael, Michael's the one that's most outraged, I would say. He's the one that feels like something needs to be done for some reason. And I couldn't, I was thinking about this as I was watching the episode. You know, why is that? Is it the fact that he feels that the office is a family and they're all pretty intimately involved in each other's personal lives? But he really just can no longer stand by and have this continue for some reason. I think it's more he doesn't have any tact and he can't keep secrets. We have seen that before because That's a big one. in this scene where Andy is addressing the office at large and saying, hey, nobody is RSVP'd, Michael comes out and is just like, wait, he doesn't know that. And then Jim stops Michael right. from talking and Michael continues to try to say these things. And Jim's like, stop, we got to go back into your office now. And Andy really is getting ignored in a lot of this episode because Jim, rather than address Andy, has to sort of corral Michael to prevent Michael from just spilling the beans right there. Yeah. Dwight is also kind of on edge in at this point because now that there is this elephant in the room... We know that Andy has had anger issues in the past. And so Dwight doesn't know what Andy is going to do. So Dwight tries to switch places with Jim so that he can always have an eye on Andy just in case Andy finds out, snaps, and goes after Dwight. And so in order to kind of squash all of this, Jim calls a meeting with Michael, Dwight, and himself in order to talk it out and figure out how somebody is going to tell Andy. Michael does the thing that he is the best at and at first tries to pass off this responsibility onto somebody else. Then he decides, all right, I'm going to be the one to do it. But as we have already discussed, he's going to corporate. And so he is no he is not going to be there f- to clean up the mess. That's going to be on Jim because when Michael is gone, Jim is in charge. So Michael is going to just drop this bomb on Andy and then leave and that's exactly what he does. Jim is rightfully upset by Michael's plan here. He's like you're not even going to have to be the one to deal with it. Why are you doing this today? And there are, there was a group of people in the break room 
Dwight included, Dwight walks in after everyone's talking about this, and Michael's sort of leading the charge again. Okay, you know, someone's got to tell Andy, and the chorus of everyone is saying, uh, no, the person to tell Andy has to be Angela. What ends up happening is that Michael, as Curtis says, cannot keep a secret. Dwight signals a meeting with Angela and implores her to break it off with Andy. And this is a big change. Think back to Crime Aid when Dwight gave Angela the ultimatum and she ended up choosing Andy. And somehow Dwight and Angela continued on. They got back together. Dwight didn't care what the situation was and their affair continued on. And so Dwight is imploring Angela saying, you need to break it off. Like, you've already said you love me, right? And Angela's response is, I've already admitted it once. Why do you keep making me say it? And Angela just says she's she's not ready yet. You know, she'll get around to it. And we'll talk about more of this as the episode unfolds. But Angela really is playing both sides and trying to have it both ways and extend this out and kind of keep herself above the fray for as long as possible. Something you mentioned, and this is something I was thinking about after last episode, about how in Crime Aid, Dwight gives the ultimatum, Angela chooses Andy, and so that's kind of it. And then all of a sudden they just pick it back up again. The same thing happens in The Surplus, in my mind, where... Dwight tricks Angela into marrying him. She is very upset about it. She basically says that's not how this is supposed to happen. And she seems to kind of be reaffirmed in her choice of Andy at that point. And then the very next episode is when we learn that they are still having this affair. And so, like I said, I was thinking about that. And I was just like, this, they, they have really dropped and picked up this storyline just kind of at leisure i think because the viewers viewpoint of what's unfolding on the show is only from the documentary crew since they are no longer seemingly banging at work there's not that opportunity to see that as the viewer so i think that this kind of dropping and picking up is just what we're not seeing happen off camera. For some reason... I guess. The camera crew, you know, followed Andy and Angela to Dwight's farm with the wedding stuff. And to your point, after the sort of faux wedding that Dwight puts on, Angela was wavering in her choice of Andy at first until Dwight said, well, we're married now, like we've done it and then Angela didn't like being tricked and then but then she like comes in she gives that big kiss in person to Andy and it's like I have a legal matter to take care of you would think that and there are many many things in this show that in real life would be unforgivable that all of a sudden everybody just forgets like I have said basically any any interaction with Michael would be like, okay, I'm done with this person. And then eventually they're helping him propose to his girlfriend. But you would think that that would be the last straw for Angela. She reacted so 
angrily to that and right. she like you said she just didn't like being tricked that okay that's it i'm done with this here i'm gonna show you how much i didn't like that by getting rid of you and marrying this guy that you don't like essentially eventually michael sets off this series of events by on his way out on his way to new york by saying andy come walk with me and it does seem as though michael's not gonna be able to work up the nerve to tell this to andy i think this was his plan the whole time (laughs) i i that's that's what it is to me he's just killing time until he can get in the car and be like hey by the way dwight's sleeping with angela okay bye and that's exactly what he does. At first, he tries to tell Andy when the window's rolled up. He rolls down the window, says, yeah, Dwight and Angela have been sleeping together for some time. Andy's like, what? Are you serious? Yep. And then Michael pulls away and leaves for New York. Now, everyone is watching this happen from the conference room windows and kind of gauging Andy's reaction. As he's walking in the building, everyone kind of, you know, scatters back to their desk. And that's when Andy pulls Angela aside and says, you know, I really need to talk to you in private. Angela, really knowing that, you know, the clock is ticking here, like her time of of playing both sides is nearly up, tries to get him to have the conversation out in the open, but finally does go into the conference room with him. And this is where Andy confronts Angela about her affair with Dwight. She asks, he asks, is this actually going on? And Angela isn't denying it at first. She says her exact words when Andy asks that is, is that, does that sound like something I would do? Yes, yeah, she completely dodges for, you know, in several ways. You know, we just signed off on our wedding flowers. Would I agree to formal chrysanthemums if I didn't want to marry you? And Andy is persistent and is not going to be fooled as easily as he has been in the past and says, you know, just answer the question. And Angela's response is a little bit. And that's when Andy realizes, you know, as he's continuing to question her, he realizes that everyone else in the office knows. He does not know the circumstances by which they all know yet, but as he turns around, everyone's just staring into the conference room. After this, Andy is ready to turn his anger towards Dwight and confronts him. Andy exits the conference room and talks to Dwight and says that it is over. And Dwight takes that as Andy and Angela have broken up. And Andy says, no, you are no longer going to be sleeping with Angela. Dwight is not so easy to concede, saying that he will not stop sleeping with Angela. And so after some back and forth, the two decide that there will be a duel for Angela's love, essentially. And when Pam implores to Angela to stop this and to help kind of mediate the situation Angela does about the worst thing possible and says I respect the results of the duel yeah you have three sort of oddballs uh in this love triangle here and yeah Angela like I said playing both sides really 
stoking both of them, you know, because she said to Dwight as they were meeting in the hallway, you know, I've told you I've loved you. And she's very comfortable with Dwight. She's seemingly forgiven him for killing Sprinkles. And to Andy, she keeps saying, I want to marry you. And the, you know, what she keeps telling both of them is pretty incongruous. It just doesn't make sense for her. At some point, it's going to come to a head. And this is what's confusing for me in this episode, because Angela has now been given a way out. She does not want to marry Andy. We know oh, that. Yeah. She has, it has been seen throughout their entire engagement, their entire dating history, that she does not actually like Andy very much. And the hoops that she made him jump through in order just to get a wedding venue shows that she was just trying to drag this out until eventually Andy was just like, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah. And so this gives her the opportunity to be like, I'm choosing Dwight, sorry, Andy. But she's not. She's like, she's still on the fence about it. And the fact that she would respect the results of the duel. I mean, Dwight has a ton of advantages in a duel, as he pretty much points out to Andy. It just seems absurd. The only time that she's had anything nice to say about Andy is when she tells Dwight, I believe it's in either episode one or two after they have a tryst in the warehouse that, you know, that's going to be the last time because she has a fiance that she very much likes. She's never once really said anything of that type to Andy. She's only really treated Andy with, you know, contempt and annoyance most of the time, it seems like. Yes, Andy gets at best tolerance from Angela. Yeah. So Jim, as the person in charge, is pretty appalled. He sort of asks himself, do I get more involved or do I take a sick day? And if he takes a sick day, that leaves Dwight in charge. He does kind of convince them that they cannot duel in the office. So Andy and Dwight announce that they'll both be taking their break in the parking lot at 4 o'clock. Jim spends, you know, a good amount of time after that collecting all the weapons that Dwight has hidden around the office. And finally, it's time for the duel. Dwight is out in the parking lot right at four o'clock, and it seems like his weapon of choice is like a bike chain whip. (laughs) And I don't know if that's because Jim collected all of his other weapons, but that's what he's showing up. It seems for a while as though Andy is not going to come. It's about 4.10. Everyone else is in the conference room watching from the windows. And Dwight is just standing out in the parking lot taunting Andy to come out. It is around this time that Dwight notices a piece of paper attached to the hedges that are on the outside of the parking lot. And he goes over, and it is a note from Andy. And in it, Andy says that there is no way that he would be able to best Dwight in a physical confrontation. And so knowing this, Andy has set up a trap with this piece of paper because behind Dwight, Andy is cruising in his Prius and idling up to him and 
Andy pins Dwight to the hedge wall with his car, hoping to make him submit that way. Yeah, it's unclear. I mean, Andy can't really run Dwight over because of the hedgerow. He could only, like Curtis said, just pin him to the hedges at a certain point. I mean, he could probably damage his legs. Andy does not seem to have any intention of getting out of the car. And they sort of have a war of words just in this position. Jim immediately runs down to the parking lot and tries to intervene, asking Dwight if he's okay. And he's like, yeah, my right leg's falling asleep a little bit, but I'm fine. And Andy tells him to go away. And and really, it's sort of devolving into this childish like I said, war of words and and Dwight insults Andy for his singing and Andy says, you know, you think you can protect her, but all you can protect her from are bears and there aren't even any bears in Scranton. Eventually, what ends the duel is Andy saying, sort of just expressing his frustration, really, she says, I cannot believe she's been sleeping with you this whole time. And she's only slept with me twice. And Curtis, we know from the business trip episode that up to that point, Angela and Andy had not slept together at all, much to Andy's frustration. Right. And so this comes as a shock to Dwight, who says that Angela had told him that he was the only one she was sleeping with. And Andy's like, I'm her fiance. Of course we have. And, and so this kind of leads to an uneasy truce between the two of them. Andy obviously is in the same position as he was. But learning this has changed Dwight's position in that Angela has lied to him and that she, maybe she does have true feelings for Andy. Yeah, he's feeling pretty betrayed by Angela's actions here. And what's interesting and what I'm curious about is I wonder if Andy sort of wore down Angela or if Angela sort of in a a fit of spite perhaps at Dwight. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe after the, you know, wedding setup and the German minister, maybe then that's when she slept with Andy. Yeah. You know, but for Dwight, that just is a betrayal that he cannot live with. So they both walk back into the building. Andy immediately gets on the phone and cancels the wedding cake. And Dwight goes to his Dwight bobblehead that Angela gave him for Valentine's Day. Seemingly, he you know, he kind of fakes her out like he's going to pick it up or signal to her. But he throws it in the garbage can. And Angela had a glimmer of hope, it seemed like, towards Dwight as Andy was on the phone canceling the wedding cake. Like, okay, you know what? Maybe Andy's done, but maybe I'm still going to be with Dwight. Yeah, this this took care of itself, and and I'm going to get what I want out of this. Yeah. So that pretty much does it for the episode. Let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. So a lot of this episode was improvised. 
a lot of Jim's lines with Michael when Michael finds out that Andy still doesn't know about Angela's affair with Dwight. That part was improvised. And a great deal of the dialogue between Rain Wilson and Ed Helms, particularly during the duel, was improvised. Kind of shockingly, it took six hours to shoot the duel scene. And because the you know they were outside and the sun obviously changes position over six hours, they had to block off the top of those hedgerows to prevent the shadows from being different in all the shots. And originally the idea was for the rest of the cast, for the members of the office, to be watching outside in the parking lot, but the framing and the blocking of such a shoot was pretty difficult. So that's why they had them watching from the conference room. In the scene in the cold open with the radar gun was shot on a 96 degree day. So it was pretty unbearable for a lot of the cast members. And what's funny is they have like fake snow because it's supposed to be January in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Curtis, who do we have getting fired this episode? Well, we have Dwight and Andy getting fired both um, for having a duel in the during office time. But if we want to go even further on each of them, Dwight gets fired for having a a weapons catch in the office for, I believe, the third time. I think that's accurate, yeah. And then Andy assaulting a co-worker with his car. Yes. It is Dwight's fifth firing of this season. It's his 16th overall, and it's Andy's first firing this season. It's his third overall. We have not had Daryl around for a couple of episodes, so he remains still in play. And we are about to add one employee in the next couple episodes. Uh, it's about it's about another like five or six. Okay, so our count will likely go up at that point. I don't know. I can't think of between now and then. I'm not familiar enough with the episodes to. I think it's a safe prediction to say that by the end of the season, we'll have two people alive. Okay. What is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee award is Words to Live By, which goes to Dwight. When Dwight is on alert for an attack, possibly from Andy, he tells the camera that Rule 17 is never turn your back on bears, men you have wronged, or the dominant turkey during mating season. And he says that there are 50 rules, I believe, that all shrewd boys must learn by the time they are five. And then he sings a little song that says that you have to learn your rules, and if you don't, you'll be eaten in your sleep. Which is a very shrewd family, all of it is a very shrewd family thing. What is your Dundee? The Payback Award goes to Kevin. At one point in the episode, this is post everyone finding out that Andy does not know about the affair and everyone has kind of confronted Angela about telling him. Angela is berating Kevin, as usual, for a mistake he has made on a an accounting form of some sort. And Kevin turns that around on her and is just very sarcastically saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know what I did was wrong. 
Had I known that, I probably would have done something to fix that. And so this is kind of the first time that we see Kevin get one up on Angela when it is almost always Angela in a similar situation just berating Kevin for something he did wrong. Right. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Michael because he sort of, as he said, gets an attaboy from David for the Scranton numbers, even if he cannot perform in the moment of just explaining how they're doing it. And also, he does the thing that sometimes happens in a in a different scenario in which he drops a bombshell or drops a problem, I should say, for his coworkers and then leaves. So this, the example I'm thinking of is when there's a big project happening and some, you know, the manager puts that on the staff and then goes on vacation and leaves them to sort of deal with the fallout. Um, so Michael kind of knew what he was doing in this scenario and didn't have to deal with or see any part of the duel. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Andy. Um, <laughs> partially for besting Dwight in a duel by outsmarting him, but also because he is now out of a very toxic relationship. As we have talked about here and in previous episodes, Angela very clearly did not like Andy, yeah. did not want to marry him, and was just kind of going with the flow because we don't really know why. Yeah. Um, the the best reasoning we get is from Phyllis when Dwight makes that ultimatum and is Dwight asks Phyllis for advice and Phyllis says Angela is not the type to take a risk and Andy isn't much of a risk but we know that Angela is not shy when it comes to speaking her mind or hurting people's feelings right and so her breaking up with Andy doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like that is out of the realm of possibilities of things that she could do so it is hard to say why she stays in this relationship but good for Andy he is out of it unfortunately they don't in terms of his character in the show they don't really know what to do with him after this I was gonna say that he has a weird arc this will be something that we will talk about later, or at least I will say this later. They, when the company gets bought out by Saber and Aaron comes in. She comes in before that, but. Okay. Yeah. They, they do a weird will they, won't they thing with them for the too rest long. the rest of the show, essentially. Yeah, that lasts, in my opinion, way too long. And. I have said before that of all the people that get together in the show, Andy and Aaron were kind of the two that were most fit together the most naturally, really. They're both just kind of these somewhat oblivious, but they're just, they're harmless, two harmless people. Like they don't, there's not much personality to either of them. And so when they kind of like tease it every once in a while and they're like, no, they're not going to do that. And then, okay, let's, Let's have them try and get back together. And it's like, okay, we don't want to do that anymore. It is just very weird. And so Andy has hardly any character arc from here on in. Yeah. I'm curious if his his star 
at this point has risen. He Ed Helms, very much. Yes, so. we are probably around Hangover two or three at this point. No, this is the first Hangover. No, he's we've been long past the first Hangover. Hangover three didn't come out until the ninth season. Okay, well, yes, we are past first Hangover, but not we, by much. We got to be coming close to Hangover two. What? Season three was when he goes to anger management? Yeah, so not by a ton. So they might be filming or getting ready for Hangover 2, but I don't think it's been out. Sure. Anyway, Ed Helms is a bigger name than at the beginning of this show. And so I'm curious if he enjoyed his time on the show. He didn't want to leave, but he couldn't commit to long stretches of filming to where they could do something with his character. Well, from what I recall, he's not really gone a big stretch until the last season when he's gone filming Hangover 3. And I think part of it is they keep working in like different love interests for Andy, but Andy's character development is really weird. He starts out, if you remember him at Stanford, as this like very annoying douchebag He's still kind of douchey when he comes to Scranton and over the years, but then he he does mellow out, but then he gets mean towards Aaron. He gets weird when he becomes manager. It just never really goes anywhere. And a lot of, and we'll say this for a lot of the characters, for some of the characters in seasons eight and nine, they become like caricatures of the people they were the the writers just sort of ran out of steam and ideas in some respects and I do think you know I've said this off the top season eight is a really terrible season it's it they went on a bit too long in some respects I should say I mean I don't know and we'll get there when we talk about Steve Carell in season seven I don't know if they should have just ended the whole thing in season season seven perhaps but we also see something similar happen with Angela and her love life and just I think always the end game was going to be Dwight but how they both got there gets a little convoluted yeah so we just threw a whole lot of things at you that will be touched on in further episodes once we get to those seasons but that will do it for this week's episode Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.